Hi, my name is Jeanette Brunet. I'm a rethinker, helping people reclaim their health and their happiness at work and take charge of how they live their daily lives. And I am on the Big Mouth Pharmacist podcast. My biggest pet peeve of the supplement industry is that we think when we give people the impression that there's one supplement that's going to answer instead of realizing that we're whole people and even supplements are not a quick fix. Welcome to the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Neil. I'm the Big Mouth Pharmacist. I'm a pretty sarcastic, slightly unprofessional healthcare professional, a holistic pharmacist here to talk about everything wellness, weed, and Woodstock. We broadcast from the most famous small town in America, where I hold court as the town's family pharmacist who tries to get people off their medicines and onto a wellness program free of the BS and misinformation of the natural products industry. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Dr. Neil Smoller, holistic pharmacist and owner of Woodstock Vitamins. All my stuff is online. You can visit woodstockvitamins.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash woodstockvitamins. My very awesome Twitter handle is at nobsvitamins. And of course, we're on Instagram doing Instagram thing under the call sign Woodstock Vitamins. Call sign, like we're, uh, you know, Goose and Maverick and such. So on today's show, we have Jeanette Brené, a performance strategist and culture coach, international keynote and TEDx speaker. And if that's not enough, she's an author and founder of Path for Life Incorporated. Jeanette works with businesses and individuals for the past 15 years. She has coached clients and delivered speeches about how physical health and emotional, mental, and social well-being affect our resilience and performance so we can show up, level up, and be busy while also preventing stress and burnout. She really wants us to live our best lives and be productive. And as always, we can't go a single show without talking about farting. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation, and I'm sorry that everything goes lowbrow with me. I'm going to start out with actually promoting your thing before we even get into any questions. So you send me a copy of your book, Eat to Feel Full and Nourish Yourself for Good. And I read a bunch of it. And I will say that if I was the one that was writing this book, this is exactly what it would look like. So that's why I knew that you were going to be uh, buddies of mine in the near future. And uh, I like your approach with everything. So let's talk about nutrition because that's what we're covering here today. So where does everybody go wrong with nutrition? I think we go wrong because we think too much about it rather than feel how it affects our bodies. So, is mm-hmm. this, And what do you mean yeah, by that? Yes, so it's this idea that there's a perfect answer mm-hmm. and that how we eat should have a name or that there is a diet that works for, um, for us. And once we narrow down on that one diet, then that should work. And I think we're a lot more complex than that and that we're really needing to reconnect with how our bodies feel and how our digestive system actually works with food because we may want a diet because we want context and understand how we can get a framework around how we eat so it makes it easier for us to choose something but what really ends up happening is we're completely disregarding our bodies not only needs but also how it responds to things and how we live our daily lives on top of it because we're not in touch with how food makes us feel. And I think we go wrong in that sense of feeling like food has to represent a certain framework that we can sort of box it into. Right. I mean, the simplest way to say this, there's a lot of BS out there when it comes to diets and a lot of misinformation. And most of us don't get 
our uh, dietary information from anywhere except for the media, and then it causes all this confusion. And we've covered this on previous podcasts, and I really like your no BS approach here to this uh, nutrition thing. So everybody's trying to get some sort of gimmick is really what's going on. They want some sort of thing because that thing is going to be the quick answer. Um, but what is, what's your approach? How do you tell people to start when they're first starting on their dietary journey? Yeah, I think the, the part of it that you're pointing out here is that, yes, there's a lot of BS out there. And I think part of what happens is that we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust our own bodies. And one thing is that there's so much information, so it is becoming so confusing because there's also conflicting mm-hmm. information, right? One moment this is good and the next moment it's not. It seems like it, yeah. You know, and and um, again, it's also because a lot of these studies are out of context. Mm-hmm. In what way? There may be a study that says, "Oh, um, this is um, you know, like coffee is great for your performance." It's like, yes, but how how else is it affecting your body? And who are you as a human being? And how fast do you metabolize things? Maybe coffee isn't good for you. Right. And it's this idea that there's an answer, and it fits everyone. Right. And, you know, the idea that coffee is uh, good for you may not even be the point that the study authors were even trying to make. Uh, That was something that the media took and ran with because that was one of the things they covered. Yes, exactly. So it's always about looking at how it affects our bodies in that sense that I feel is is so important. And I I do think that that I understand that people want to feel safe. I understand that people want to think that what they're eating is good for them. And they believe that if they eat right the way the diet tells them to eat, they're safe. Right. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. So many people come to me and they say, what should I eat? I mean, it's it's a pretty weird kind of request, yeah. but I understand why yeah. they're making it because they're just saying simplify it for me. And that's why people look to influencers and such. So, so to say to somebody that we want to um, have them listen to their bodies and, and be more intuitive when they don't really know where to start, that's kind of tough. So... So say, for example, you had, you know, your normal uh, kind of client or, or normal person you'd be working with, where do you tell them to start? I tell them to start by noticing how it, their bodies are talking to them. Are mm-hmm. you farting? Are you? I was just going to say, are you listening for farts on a regular basis? Exactly. We always, go, we always go to poop here. Like uh, that's all my podcasters end up yeah. talking about is yeah. diarrhea. And, and so poops. we know when we're bloated. We know when we have a stomach ache. Mm-hmm. We know when, mm-hmm. like, we know those things, but we disregard it thinking it's normal. I live with a stomach ache most of my life thinking that that was just what it feels like after eating and not realizing that that actually isn't supposed to happen after eating. Right. So I have got an anecdote around that too. Like even though I was in pharmacy school and was studying the heart, like literally all the electronics of the heart and how the the signals work, I used to think that if my heart had a palpitation, that that was a burst of energy and that was a good thing. And now I have arrhythmias on the regular because of that. So we do translate these signals pretty poorly. And, and, And one of the things I see a lot too with our patients is the idea that, um, well, I'm never thirsty or I'm never hungry. And that's because they stopped listening. Right. So do you have any examples of how to, uh, like what signals exactly are we looking for to better understand our bodies? One of them is to get tired after a meal. Okay. Because a lot of times people are like, no, I don't want to eat lunch at work because I get so sleepy afterwards. I'm like, well, it's probably because you're eating food that doesn't give you energy and that that your body is having a hard time digesting. So instead, let's mm-hmm. experiment with food that actually gives you energy because that's the purpose of food. Yeah. So what kind of food uh, would make you feel sluggish? Some people have a lot harder time with starches. Some people have a lot harder time with uh, flour products and wheat products and gluten and things like that. And I think mm-hmm. we intuitively know that those are comfort foods. And so yeah. that we actually are looking. So we're using comfort foods because we're stressed. 
which are mm-hmm. supposed and designed to calm us down. But then mm-hmm. afterwards we're saying, well, I get tired after eating, so therefore I don't want to eat. But now instead you're mm-hmm. working on survival mode because you're running on empty. Right. So it's this idea that we want to self-soothe, and I understand that, but it may not be the right time to self-soothe if you're supposed to pay attention afterwards. So the carb-heavy meals, fat-heavy meals, processed meals, all of those things are comfort foods and they make us want to go to sleep. And one of the things that people have to understand is that there is normally a fatigue that kind of happens after you eat because of the the shunting of resources to digest those foods. Yeah, there is. And I think that I sort of design my meals around how I feel and how I want to feel. So if I feel a little anxious, I know I need some more whole grain, like I'll have a brown rice bowl with some... Mm-hmm. vegetables and some, you know, potentially like bean in it because I know I need to calm myself down. So I need more serotonin. But if mm-hmm. I'm feeling kind of like, oh, I need a little pep. I'm a little tired. Then I go more for like green vegetables and, and maybe like uh, eggs or some kind of more spunky protein foods mm-hmm. in that sense instead of mm-hmm. something that has more of this calming feel to it. So it's a little bit more like how do I feel and how do I want to feel so I can choose based on that. Because instead, mm-hmm. we tend to choose based on how we want how we feel and how we want to get rid of feeling. Yeah. So there's a slight difference in that, right? Of course. There's a bigger thing, too, is like our, I talk about all the time, our psychological connection to food is the first thing that we need to look at when we deal with yes. diets. We need to understand what is it that's driving our food decisions in the first place. And the, and the first thing I would say is stress and poor yes. planning. We didn't decide what we're going to eat. So let's now be hungry at work and get cranky. And then I got to eat something. And then, oh, well, what's yes. quick? And then they grab whatever's there. Uh, they might eat a pillow sized bag of M&Ms. I've been known to do that before. Eat kettle corn until my jaw hurts, right? So these are the things that, that our reaction, our relationship to food that we really have to kind of yeah. explore. So let's talk about the other signals that you have to listen for and, and watch for in your body. Hmm. I think also you were just alluding to it in this idea that our mood and our psychological state has a lot of effect on us in terms of how we choose, but we also change how we feel based on how we eat. So mm-hmm. um, you may feel more impatient after eating because you ate something that was high in sugar. So at first you might feel more sort of like, oh, that was so good. And then you find yourself a couple of hours later, or maybe even a few hours later, um, feeling more anxious, more anxious and more impatient. That's probably because you had something that was high in processed food or sugar, and now you're coming down from that sugar. So it's this idea that we we see a reaction, we see a reaction in our bodies pretty fast if it's a digestive piece, like bloating, gas, discomfort. But a little bit later, we see a more emotional effect from eating. So do you have a uh, basic structure of what you think most people's diets should look like at a minimum? I think the more we can just choose real food, we're in pretty good shape already. Okay. I know that's hard to do sometimes, but I think if we look a little further, depending on what environment we're in, sure. But, you know, I I grew up in Denmark. We brought our food with us to work. Like we made food just like, you know, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't go into school for the kids. We would bring food with us to work as adults as well. And I don't really see why that seems so foreign to people today. Like, why why do we think that it's okay that we give kids food to bring with them to school, but as adults, we don't bring it with us to work? So do you advocate for the, like, meal prep Sunday type stuff where people bang out all their meals for the week? It could be. For some people, that works. I liked the idea of creating a tapas-style fridge. 
so that you have smaller things that you cooked and then you mix it fresh with some fresh mm-hmm. food. Like you may have cooked up a bunch of lentils or a quinoa or grain or brown rice or something like that if you're more of a plant-based eater, um, which I think are always good mm-hmm. foundations for a lot of things. And then you can put fresh stuff on top. You can mix it with fresh greens. You can saute some vegetables really fast at night that you then have for the next morning. They could be part of your dinner. So we might have bigger bulks of something that we've cooked and then we'll add fresh stuff to it so it feels like we're having fresh meals. But I know a lot of people also like to make batches of stuff that they then freeze and defrost. I, that was never personally my thing to do uh, because I like things that feel like I just made it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's both ways. It's a yes and. I think it's about what's our schedule, what's our family life look like, and what kind of food do we like to eat. Right. I think that's a, a bit of valuable information. And I've actually never heard anybody uh, kind of structure it like that. The idea that instead of uh, prepping just one specific meal for all of your lunches or all of your dinners, instead cooking lots of different sides and uh, like meat or protein uh, based sources, kind of putting them all into different jars and having like a little menu that you can pick from throughout the week. Um, where, you know, every few days maybe that you're doing this. So, um, so what do you think a, a meal should look like for people? I think that we should get, depending on, again, what we need in this given moment, but I think that if half our plate is full of vegetables, especially like a lot of like greens, green vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, that whole sort of like high fiber Mm -hmm. kind of vegetables that makes us feel full and satisfied for longer, and then a quarter of the plate around some starch, and then a quarter of the plate, some protein, and then some good fat on top, like olive oils and things like that, add some avocado. I believe in good animal fat um, if it's from a lean protein source, but I specifically believe mm-hmm. in good plant fat and plenty of it because it's part of what mm-hmm. makes us feel full. It's part of what sustains our energy. Um, yeah. I'm not a person that says we shouldn't have any carbs because we have to remember that vegetables are carbs too. I am saying that we need to monitor how much starch we need. But personally, I'm a starch person. I need a lot of I need I need things from starchy stuff like sweet potatoes and brown rice for me to feel uh, balanced in my body. And I recognize mm-hmm. that. And I'm not, you know, at 56, I'm not afraid of carbs in that sense. And quite the opposite, actually. The more I get my steady dose of good complex carbs and starches, the more balanced I feel and the less I struggle with cravings and things like that. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing is to understand that we're not telling people to like to deplete themselves of certain things, but in fact, eat everything if you can. And um, all uh, all three macronutrients, proteins, fats, and complex carbohydrates all have a a super important role. So let's talk about like bad fats, because I see that's a section here in your book. So uh, talk to me about what fats you don't want people to choose. Our bodies have a harder time digesting cooked animal fat. And so mm-hmm. um, just the simple, what happens to fat when it's cooked at a high heat is one thing in terms of not mm-hmm. being so healthy mm-hmm. for us. But the other is that if it takes our body a long time to digest something, we're actually developing more bacteria, bacteria. Um, in our gut, which then again affects our immune system, affects our digestive system, and so on and so forth. So I think that those are the fats that we need to be careful of in terms of even mm-hmm. when it's from real food. And then there's a lot of processed fats, like fried fats. You know, I, I remember when I was a little kid, my parents didn't want me to eat a lot of like French fries or anything like that. Uh, there was colon cancer in my family. And so, and even though my grandparents were butchers, there was this idea that we 
were eating a lot of meat, but there was certainly an idea to not have fried foods. And so I remember that my dad always told me that the oil is so old and it's been reheated and there's so much like in these basins of fried foods. And I remember just being like, oh, that's like nasty. And like they were reheating it overnight and so on and so forth. And I was just like so turned off by all of this stuff, even as a kid. So I've never really eaten a lot of fried foods myself um, because I I was understanding why it wasn't healthy. And I think if we can look at it not as good or bad, but rather understand what it does to our bodies, then it doesn't become so much of this like, oh, forbidden food, it's bad for us, but I want it. And just acknowledge the fact that sometimes it tastes good, but maybe just have less of it because, you know, it's not that great for my body. Like this idea that our body and us are actually a team trying to figure this life out together. I think the big thing is, you know, we talk about eating real foods and such. So we go to the store and we want to buy some vegetable oils or something like that, thinking, oh, these are from vegetables and vegetables are healthy and they're actually not getting vegetables. Yeah, there's mixed oils and and GMO-based oils and so on and so forth. There's a lot of, and it's a really, I think it's a really difficult territory for people to navigate because there's, again, a lot of misinformation and misconceptions about things. And even like health professionals that I feel some health professionals have been buying into promoting products, which I really have a, I have a hard time sometimes when somebody that is being listened to around health and nutrition and and um, then ends up promoting products that might not actually support a healthy choice. I mean, all these psychos out there are doing this. This is what, like half the reason my blood pressure is so high. The, you know, they talk a good game about all the important things you need to do. And then the products that they promote don't match that. But then the consumer thinks that they're the same exact thing. So we see that a lot with the supplement guys. But I understand why some of the foodies are doing like, oh, try this right. brand. Because it's easier to point people to a brand versus these are the criteria that you're looking for. Because again, we're overwhelmed. We don't have enough time. We don't know what to think uh, about when it comes to buying all of these foods. It, be uh, an all-day affair just going grocery shopping (laughs) yes and i also do think that once we get it down we kind of like have a foundation right you know there i buy i buy a lot of foods that i buy bulk and they're just in my cupboard and then the shopping doesn't feel so overwhelming because then i just go out Mm -hmm. and get what i need fresh yeah, I we just interviewed a pediatric immunologist for the podcast. He's on uh, an episode uh, before yours, and he said that we talk a, a good game about how we have such a varied diet. But if we really look at it, it's like twenty things that we eat regularly, you know. And uh, that's and that even then, that could be a very healthy, varied diet. You know, you could just list out a bunch of them: blueberries, kale, and and tomatoes and stuff like that. And it's a very small list, so it's almost like maintaining your menu of the things that you buy, you know, uh, to help you deal with this overwhelming nature of these things. That's why sometimes I tell people to get to put together a food and fart list so that they can actually put together what foods actually work for their digestive system and see what really works so that they actually get a shopping list together based on how their digestive system works and then they can start looking at that. And I hear you. I say, I often hear people that come to me when I suggest certain foods and they're like, oh my God, that's so limited. And I was like, wait a minute, you got chicken at three meals a day here. Eggs in the morning, yeah. chicken for lunch, and chicken for dinner. What do you mean I'm restricting your choices? I'm opening them up because I'm adding the plant kingdom. Right. <laughs> so um, the food and fart diet, is that something you have trademarked? Because I think you should. <laughs> Maybe that's the next thing. <laughs> I think you're going to have to. The food and fart diet, I think that's a book right there. 
because <laughs> um, if you don't, I'm going to. We can write it together. How is that, Neil? We'll do it together. <laughs> yeah, all right. That sounds great. You do the food, I'll do the fart, and we'll <laughs> we'll put the, the information together. Um, so how often do you feel people should be eating? I like the idea of intermittent fasting between meals, as in, mm. you know, the good four hours between meals. Let your stomach empty so that mm. your insulin levels can come down so that there's not so much snacking in between meals. And then I like the 12 hours between dinner and breakfast as a minimum. Mm. Um, mm. But I'm not saying intermittent fasting the way some people do it, where they spent like X amount of days not doing. Personally, it would surely not work for me and my digestive system and my energy. Yeah, it kind of goes, it's kind of contrary to most yeah. science yes. around nutrition yeah. Yeah. too. Uh, we, we made that point before. Um, yeah, I'm, I think that I, when I was looking through, the only thing that we disagreed on, and this is the reason that I asked you that, is because of that, like that long break from dinner and some of your timing uh, ideas. I do like the idea of small frequent meals, and I think you touch on it too. It should be three meals a day with snacks in between. Um, but the the idea for me, um, since I, I call it a campfire uh, mm. modality, where you, every time you eat, you're making a fire and you have to keep that fire burning for your energy, your metabolism, your blood glucose levels, all of those things. But if we're waking up the next morning, we haven't had a fire made all night. We have to survive off the coals. And, and for some people, the difficulty in sleeping comes down to just not having a good protein or fat source an hour or two before mm -hmm. bed because their blood sugars are falling during uh, while they're sleeping. So I think that's the only point that we really disagree on. And I'm not sure we actually disagree because I do believe that we should eat like a good food at night. But yes, I hear you saying you want it closer to bedtime. I personally right. feel having been hypoglycemic in my past, I felt that the more I've been able to over time, over time, mm -hmm. train my body to be able to have a low insulin level between. So because mm -hmm. of having this sort of stretch of time, I have mm -hmm. been able to uh, have more hours between my meals without feeling like I have that low. But yes, yeah, sometimes mm -hmm. even just a handful of nuts before bed is, is enough to keep you steady overnight. But I hear you on the blood sugar level overnight that when it drops too fast, people don't get good sleep. Yep, totally agree. For sure. Um, so let's talk about supplements because that's kind of what I talk about. It. So I see in, in the book, you don't really mention supplements and you tell people to get it from your food. So how do you feel about supplements in the world of supplementation? I think that supplements are great because they're supplements. But I think that too many people are using them as food. Mm -hmm. so that I think supplements help balance an imbalance. I think mm -hmm. they help support us when we need it. Like I certainly use supplements to boost my immune system when I know I'm under stress or I'm running low. And um, I use supplements to, I have the MTHFR mutation. So I need supplements to rectify that. Mm -hmm. And so there are different things that help us. Like I've been anemic most of my life. Now I know why. Right, yeah. You know, and so so I think those are the places where supplements go in and help us support. It's a little bit like patching the holes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important in that way. I think way too many people, though, have come to my practice sometimes with I, I've had somebody come with a milk crate on a trolley <laughs> full of supplements mm -hmm. that they were taking mm -hmm. every day. Yeah, it's like they're eating Cheerios by taking their supplements with like a spoonful and just multiple. Yeah, yeah we had somebody come in with a banana box yeah. once with supplements uh, and they weren't eating right and they weren't, uh, you know, drinking enough. Uh, and people do rely on it too much. The The big thing that I see is the shake mm. craze, which I'm sure you yep. see a lot of too. What's your vote on that? 
I think it's a good snack. I think it's a good meal replacement at certain times. And I think that we can use it to support something. But if we're living on shakes only, I think, again, we're losing out on not only the experience of eating, but I think we're losing out on supporting our bodies in a wholesome way. I take a shake sometimes when I know that um, I have a couple of hours before a meal and I that can't fit in a meal. So instead of taking a snack bar, I'll take a shake instead. Right. It feels a lot more solid to me to do that. Right. So one of the things I just want to unpack because we have a pretty uh, harsh stance against the MTHFR misinformation that's out there. Uh-huh. One of the things that you said that was so important was that you're anemic. <laughs> so, right. so not only do you have the genetic mutation on the MTHFR gene, but it also clinically causes a problem in you. And this is a big disconnect for people. Just because you have that genetic mutation doesn't mean it's clinically relevant. And there's a lot of naturopaths and people out there that are pushing people to take multiple B vitamins to cure some disease that they don't even have. Yeah. Um, So that's an important thing to kind of distinguish that you actually have that. And it's also important to know that I can't keep taking it because then I'm just going to go toxic on toxic levels of the mm-hmm. vitamin B because at some point my body has absorbed it because I'm taking a supplement. Of course. And so I think that's the other thing that people think that a lot of times they're taking a supplement, they're taking it for life rather than checking in and adjusting as they go along because they may need to change things up a bit. You have to be strategic about it. I, I think 30% of the customers that come to me for the first time and don't feel good uh, just by stopping supplements is enough to make them feel better. You know, without any other dietary changes, just reducing the number of supplements they take can make people feel better. We we really uh, grossly underestimate that. Yeah. So let's talk about how your practice travels over to the work world, because that's where a lot of your business and and work is. So so what is it that you do uh, with this information to help people not suck at their jobs? (laughs) Well, (laughs) for the past 15 years, um, now more than 15 years, but for 15 years, I've had my own practice and been coaching people one-on-one and how to sort of reclaim their health, take charge of their health and happiness um, uh, by really understanding the relationship they have with their own body. And so what I do is, and and also been dealing with a lot of people with illness and and diagnosis along the years and helping them really, again, change the relationship with their body so they see how they're a team and figuring out what Mm -hmm. that means to their body. So in the, in, in, at work, so what I saw was that people would want to take better care of themselves, but then they would go to work and it would all fall apart because we don't have this idea that we can take care of ourselves at work. It's like, oh, I go to work, I'm, 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 I don't matter. And so I'm helping people see that actually all those things that they're trying to do at work every day, if they take better care of themselves, they're better able to do all those things. So it's a little bit like turning that bucket upside down, a little bit of the what comes first. And instead of looking at self-care, it's what we do to recover after we burn out, it's what we do so that we don't burnout right and that so that we actually have more energy all day and it's really resetting and rethinking this idea of how important our human body is for what we want to do every single day like neither one of us could sit here and be at our best if we hadn't been taking care of ourselves we would struggle to to be here and 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 really have the focus and the energy that we need to have and the and the and the um the intent sort of all comes together in our our um, our outcome, our performance, right? And so this idea that we don't need to take care of ourselves all day long and still perform at our best, that's like, that's not possible. Right. 
It's just not possible. And that's what I do with companies. And not only do I talk to companies about how to change the culture so it can be a more of a healthy culture by changing some of the work habits and, and strategies around, you know, is it a 45-minute meeting or, a, or an hour meeting with no room to go to the bathroom in between so that people don't drink water? Like I hear that all the time. People are dehydrated because they don't have time to go pee. Like how stupid mm-hmm. is that? Because here we are that we need to be hydrated so that our brains can function and that we don't feel tired and irritable. Right. So it's this idea that we got it all wrong. And so I go to companies and consult them with helping them change how they think of supporting their people. And I work with workshops and, and speaking at conferences about how we change our relationship with ourselves and what are some of the tools that we can take with us to work that won't actually take up time. It will give us more time back. I would say a majority of the people that come to me for fuzzy foggy thinking uh, have the worst diets on the planet. And again, it's not judging them. It's just that they aren't seeing that connection between the foods they eat and the or the lack thereof and the mental clarity that they're not receiving. Yeah. So you just mentioned something hydration. So we didn't cover that when we were talking about diet. So what uh, what's your rules on fluid status? Well, I think that a lot of people are drinking too little because they are mm-hmm. eating poorly. Mm-hmm. So if they don't eat foods that are cooked with water, they don't get a lot of water. A lot of people mm-hmm. eat foods that are devoid of, of hydration and, and water. And so I think we need to make sure that people drink enough in that sense. I know it's sort of like the going rate is half your body weight in ounces. And for some, that's just perfect. It's a good it's a good measuring stick. Yeah. And for some, you know, like I personally eat a lot more foods that are cooked with water, like the rice and things like that. So I may actually not need as much water as that because I don't eat like a steak or baked something potatoes. But even so, I can tell that I need a lot more water than I think as well. Like this right. idea that we're drinking tea and coffee thinking we're getting enough liquids, I do think we just need pure, clean, good water. Right. A lot of people think that they can substitute tea and coffee for their fluid intake because it's yeah, wet. exactly. <laughs> well, so is Pepsi. We wouldn't want to do that, exactly. obviously. I tell people that the choice of what they eat is something that they can make up to eight times a day, or like me, actually a little bit more than that because I graze a little bit. But it's the only choice that actually will dictate what kind of life that they're going to yeah. live, not only today, but 50 years from now. So I think that the choices around food are so very important. I think that's why it's important to understand the signaling that our body's uh, sending to us. So how do you feel about the choices that we're making around foods in general and, and, and where can we go with that? You know, when I was told um, right before I turned 40 that it was only a matter of when I was going to get cancer because of my family history and I asked, well, what can I do? And they said, well, you can start preventive chemo right now. And I was like, well, isn't there something else I can do? I had already been studying nutrition for my own sake at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of already knew that, of course, there's something I can do. But I think that it's, it's, it's sad that we are not empowered to understand that our bodies are self-healing, self-regulating mechanisms. And the more we can use food to help and support our bodies do what they do best. Like, let's face it, people go on detoxes, but the body detoxes for a living. Amen. We can support (laughs) it. We can support it in doing that by eating good, healthy foods rather than crappy foods, sure. But that is what the body is designed to do. And so it's this idea that we can understand that our bodies do so much for us. All it needs from us is a little bit of help and it'll take care of itself. And I think that when we get sick, we look back and we feel betrayed by our bodies. But I think it's a two-way relationship because 
We choose mostly based on taste and experience rather than choosing our foods based on living our best life. I couldn't agree more. I think that it is too funny that you mentioned the detox and the cleansing piece because we have lots of people that come to us with uh, liver diseases and they want a supplement for their liver. And those supplements are pretty basic. They just have like N-acetylcysteine. Some will put in glutathione. They'll put in some vitamins, uh, you know, things that are used by those organs. But our, our organs have plenty. It's very, very rare that we're actually depleted of those things. And if we are, then, yeah, that makes sense to supplement. But um, the idea of detoxing and, and cleansing are concepts that we can do on our own with a big glass of water and a nice salad. So if you had to pick a diet, which diet would you pick? of all of these trendy, flashy diets, the keto diet, the paleo diet, the cookie diet, the raw diet, uh, what is it, the fat and fart diet? What did you <laughs> just say? Yeah. The food and fart diet, which one would you I pick? I would pick the eat to feel full diet. Okay. <laughs> My book. <laughs> well, that's obvious. Well, I, I would I would uh, pick, um, so what I, normally, uh, what I often do is I say uh, the responsible diet. I guess you would call mm -hmm. it. And that is the, it doesn't have to have a name. It doesn't have to be one thing or the other. I look at it as I eat mostly plant-based. I eat uh, animal foods from responsible resources. And if I don't know where they're coming from, there's a good chance I'll just stay vegan. Um, mm -hmm. I personally think that we need a lot more plant-based food in our lives than we think. But I also do think that a lot of people... Um, become junk vegetarians and junk vegans. Okay, in what way? Like they'll eat crappy foods instead of getting proper sources of protein because they want to avoid animal foods. I have no problem with people saying I don't want to eat animal food, but I have a problem with people then going and saying, well, I'm vegan, I'm eating pasta. Like it's not a healthy diet. So, so I think that the misconception is that just because we don't eat something that we might have chosen something healthy instead, we haven't. Let's end on this question because this is something we were kicking around the office here. Uh, what I find is that everybody's looking for a sexy, simple fix. Yes, they are. And that's really what it is. So how do you make a responsible diet that has all this nuance, sexy and simple? Well, um, I would just say mostly plant-based then. Just eat fruits and vegetables. Sexy and simple? Well, a, a, lot, a lot of vegetables, more so than a lot of fruit. Mm -hmm. I would say just Mm -hmm. Loaded up on vegetables and a and a simple uh, and a simple protein, mm -hmm. whether that's uh, fish, lean meat, nuts and seeds, or legumes. So, Jeanette, um, let's leave our listeners here with some tactical information, some strategies that they can implement right away um, to listen to their body in a better way and be more in tune to what works for them uh, truly versus what they're told to uh, use and, and to consume. Yes. I would say make sure you drink water, not just coffee and tea all day long. Water really is something that helps us and our system function better. Mm -hmm. I would say get your meals and make, and, and when in doubt, add more veggies. That's the one thing that will help us really take charge of how we feel every day is really adding more vegetables. It'll boost our energy. And then the last piece is get your sleep. Like it is that simple. And I know that it's hard for people to actually get sleep in there, but make it a priority mm -hmm. because we make a lot of poor eating choices when we're tired. 
For sure. Amen to that. So, Janet, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast here and uh, joining the army of people out here shouting from the rooftop that it doesn't have to be so silly and it doesn't need to be filled with so much BS. The answers are in front of us. We know exactly what to do. And in fact, if we listen a little bit better, then uh, we might even be more equipped to handle these nutritional and life problems that come our way. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Very valuable information in that interview, I'd say. Learning to listen to your body is an important skill, but also recognizing that your body may not be talking to you anymore because you've ignored it for so long. There's no sexy secret to eating well. It just involves creating good habits with real foods, but most importantly, we've got to keep it real with ourselves. So you can reach Jeanette if you want to learn more about her and what she has to offer at JeanetteBronnet.com, J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E-B-R-O-N-E-E.com. And her blog is PathForLife.com, P-A-T-H-F-O-R-L-I-F-E.com. She's on Twitter at Jeanette Bronnet, and her book is Eat to Feel Full and Nourish Yourself for Good and it's very readable. I enjoyed it. I think you guys should all check it out. So with all that said, just remember, just because you're listening to your body better doesn't mean your friends, family, or coworkers need to. So don't start farting in public just because you heard it on my show. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.